to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews and creative writing. My name's Georgina Arnott, and I'm the Assistant Editor at ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version, or $60 for print plus online. Hello, this is Dan Disney. One of the world's most illustrious poetry competitions, the Peter Porter Poetry Prize, opens on the 3rd of July and will remain open until the 9th of October. Last year I received the prize, this year with the magnificent poets Felicity Plunkett and Lachlan Brown, I'm fortunate enough to be judging the Peter Porter Poetry Prize. Of course, we look forward to receiving and reading your entries. For details about the 2024 Porter Poetry Prize, worth a total of $10,000 in prize money, visit the Australian Book Review website. This week we turn to the Oxford English Dictionary, one of the major lexicographical resources and certainly one of the great feats of modern publishing. The OED story is, of course, celebrated. We all know about Scottish lexicographer and philologist James Murray, primary editor of the OED from 1878 to his death in 1915. Equally famous is his scriptorium in Oxford, where the massive dictionary was compiled. Less well-known is the story of the so-called dictionary people, the unsung heroes of the OED who responded to Murray's call for words and citations from around the world. Sarah Ogilvie, an Australian lexicographer now based in Oxford and a former director of the Australian National Dictionary Centre in Canberra, has had a long association with the OED. But it wasn't until 2014 that Dr Ogilvie made a remarkable discovery in the dictionary archives. She found, and became the first person to explore, Dr Murray's three address books, in which he recorded in meticulous, fascinating detail his relations with all those volunteers around the world. Sarah Ogilvie writes about her find and traces these remarkable amateur lexical sleuths in her new book, The Dictionary People, the unsung heroes who created the Oxford English Dictionary, just published by Chatto and Windus. For the September issue of ABR, Sarah writes about the Melbourne chapter of volunteers, most of them deracinated Oxonians based first at Melbourne Grammar and then at the University of Melbourne. Here is Sarah Ogilvy with her article, The Melbourne Dictionary People. The Melbourne Dictionary People, Act of Service to the Mother Tongue, by Sarah Ogilvie. There are many impressive things about the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary, but one in particular has long puzzled me. As an Australian, I've always been struck by its excellent coverage of Australian words. I'm not talking about the inclusion of obvious words such as kookaburra, woomera, and fossick, but rather the hundreds of lesser-known words such as wonga wonga, pigeon, 
whirly, hot, and yarren, a species of acacia, and even more obscure ones such as brickfielder, defined as local name in Sydney, New South Wales, for a thick cloud of dust brought over the city by a south wind from neighbouring sand hills, known as the Brickfields. All these words were put in by the longest-serving editor, Dr James Murray, 1837 to 1915. But he didn't come up with them alone in Oxford in England. Someone in Australia sent them to him, and I've always wondered who that was. Begun in 1858 and completed in 1928, the dictionary was the first to attempt to include every word in the English language, to describe these words using historical principles, and to use a descriptive rather than a prescriptive approach. To accomplish this huge task, the editors knew that a small group of men in London or Oxford could not do it alone. They reached out to the public all over the world for help, asking them to read the books which they had to hand and to send in words and quotations from those books. The response was massive, and the dictionary became one of the world's first crowdsourcing projects, the Wikipedia of the 19th century. But who were all those people who responded to Murray's call? And especially, who were the Australians? Eight years ago, while exploring the OED archives, I made a dramatic discovery. In a hidden corner of the Oxford University Press basement, where the dictionary's archive is stored, I lifted the lid on a dusty box and found a small black book tied with cream ribbon. Opening the book, I immediately recognised Murray's immaculate handwriting. It was his address book, recording the names and addresses of not hundreds, but thousands of people who had volunteered to contribute to the dictionary. I soon discovered two more of his address books and three further address books belonging to the previous editor, Frederick Furnival. Over the past few years, I have pored over these six address books, researching the people listed inside them, where they lived what they did with their lives, whom they loved, the books they read, and the words they contributed to the dictionary. Some people have remained mysteries to me, despite my trawling through censuses, marriage registers, birth certificates, and official records. But most, most have come to life with such force, it's as though they've been calling out for attention for years. There were people from all around the world and all walks of life. A pornography collector in London, a murderer in California, a chaplain in the goldfields of New Zealand, an anti-slavery activist in Philadelphia, a missionary in the Congo, a journalist in Ceylon, Sri Lanka, the inventor of the tennis net adjuster in Yorkshire, an aunt and niece who happened to be lesbian lovers, and a cocaine addict found dead in the lavatory of a railway station. And then there were the Australians. The address books and a great deal of extra detective work led me to a small group of men living in Melbourne in the late 19th century. They worked first at Melbourne Grammar School, 
and then all gradually moved to the University of Melbourne. They were an impressive group of academics. Edward Sugden, Master of Queen's College. Edward Hippius Bromby, University Librarian. Alexander Leeper, Warden of Trinity College. Richard Elliott, Classical Lecturer at Trinity College. And Edward Ellis Morris, Professor of Modern Languages and Literatures. I dubbed them the Melbourne Dictionary People. All of them had been born and educated in Britain, and most had attended Oxford. Once they had moved to Melbourne, they formed a tight network, exercising patronage for one another, demonstrating how elite British expats tended to negotiate and maintain power in a new colony. It was a dynamic but contentious group of men. I hesitate to call them friends because most of them fell out and ended up bitter enemies, as described by John Pointer in his wonderful book, Doubts and Certainties, 1997. Sugden had been volunteering for Murray's Dictionary for many years before leaving England. Elliot had studied and lived in Oxford and was also known to Murray. The others may have learnt about the project from these two men, or they may have responded directly to one of Murray's appeals for volunteers. What we do know is that they all ended up working together, gathering quotations and words unique to Australia and New Zealand, and sending them to Murray in Oxford. By writing to newspapers and giving lectures around Australia, they recruited others to join them in the word collection. In a letter to the Argus newspaper in 1890, Elliot appealed to Australian patriotism. Dr Murray has asked me to point out to Australians that while he had received much enthusiastic help from many Americans, he had hitherto received very little indeed from Australians, and that, consequently, Australian words and usages must be very scantily represented unless he receives more help from Australians in the shape of illustrative quotations, especially of the earliest instances in Australian newspapers and books. At the centre of this group was Morris, who had become an obsessive word collector and travelled around the country advocating for the OED. Something has been done in Melbourne, he told a gathering in Tasmania in 1892, but the colonies have different words and uses of words, and this work is of a kind which might well extend beyond the bounds of a single city. He made a rousing appeal to his listeners. Twenty or thirty men and women, each undertaking to read certain books with the new dictionary in mind and to note in a prescribed fashion what is peculiar, could accomplish all that is needed. This drive for help was hugely successful and more than 200 people volunteered from around Australia and many also in New Zealand. After a few years, Morris decided that it was time to create his own dictionary. He harnessed assistance from a loyal group of specialists whom he knew from the University of Melbourne, where they had either studied or worked, experts on Australian botany, Baron von Mueller and Johann Lerman, museum director Sir Frederick McCoy, the anthropologist and natural scientist Alfred W. Howard, anthropologist Baldwin Spencer, bird specialist Alfred J. North in Sydney, 
Biologist Thomas Sargent Hall, naturalist Joseph J. Fletcher, and Aboriginal languages expert the Reverend John Matthew of Coburg. Morris became the Australian Murray. He copied Murray's lexicographic policies and practices and built up a faithful network of volunteers and advisors. In 1898, he published Austral English a dictionary of Australasian words, phrases, and usages. It was an Australian version of the OED, each entry with dated citations showing the word's usage across time. Murray had created Australia's first historical dictionary, a superb record of Australian and New Zealand English in the 19th century. He deserved more praise than he received, and the dictionary deserves to be better known than it is, although he was awarded a Doctor of Letters from Melbourne University. The Melbourne Dictionary people were not typical of the OED volunteers. They were all male, and they were specialists, academics, and experts. Most of the other volunteers were, by contrast, amateurs, often autodidacts, and included far more women than we might expect. Their contribution to a scholarly enterprise at a time when higher education was limited to the elite meant that they had a tie to a prestigious scholarly project. For the Melbourne Dictionary people, who were part of the academic world, the appeal for them may have been the nostalgic link it gave them to their homeland as well as the chance to prove their loyalty through scholarship to their new adopted country. The Melbourne Dictionary people formed just one small group of the 3,000 volunteers who made the OED. They joined with hundreds of Americans, a disproportionate number of lunatics, as they were described in the censuses, contributing detailed and rigorous work from psychiatric hospitals families reading together by the gas light to send in quotations, and numerous others, from vegetarian vicars to suffragists. The contribution of the Australians to the OED is more than just the story of empire in active service to the mother tongue. It's the story of faithful and loyal volunteers who took up the invitation to read their local books and help describe their local words, so that the bounds of the English language would not only be expanded, but also recorded for future generations. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.